I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> Not really. But I, I really, 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 really am so glad that they are on our side. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I'm not sure. I, I, I was, I, I was keeping up with most of it, uh, um, but when the guy came out of the ceiling, that was the one that got me. I, he landed about here, but I couldn't see where he came from. <laughs> and. and and I had all my Irish roots got stirred as I walked through the door because I saw a guy with, with 303 shells across here and I thought... <laughs> I went to Ireland for the first time about... Well, not for the first time, but went back for the first time about 10 years ago. And uh, it was an awesome experience, amazing, but I, I just had to find out one thing. I had to find out who I was really named after. And uh, I got hold of one of my uncles over there who dared to tell me the truth. Uh, and he said, well, he said, you're named after your Uncle Davy. And I said, well, what was it about him, you know? He said, well, put it this way. He said, before he went to the war, his disposition was anything but good. But when he came back, filled with shrapnel. He was decidedly worse. <laughs> he said, the farmer up the way, he said, stopped the stream of the water coming to his property. So he blew up the whole hill. <laughs> I, I said, I see. <laughs> I, my, my, my childhood was starting to make a whole lot of sense. My, my, my teenage years was coming back into focus, you know. And he said, he said he had a little ritual. I said, what was that? He said, well, he said, every Friday night after a week's work, he'd come home and he looked at his two teenage sons and he said, well, boys, have you done a good week's work? I, Dad. Oh, I, Dad. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Well, shall we finish off in grand style then? Oh, yes, Dad. Please, Dad. Yes, Dad. Well, should we go down the pub and bash a few heads? Well, yeah. <laughs> and without any sense of uh, anger or, or, or no resentment, oh, no, nothing, nobody is upset or anything like that. They'd just walk off and they would go into the pub and they'd have their Guinness and then they'd look at each other and the dad would say to them, uh, well, boys, shall we start it now? <laughs> and they'd say, aye, dad, aye. And so... Totally indiscriminate, didn't matter who it was, just, should we do it now? Hey, yes, go to it. And whoever it was just copped it right sitting beside it. And within three seconds, the whole pub was in absolute mayhem. Everything was crashing over it and ringing thumb. And they'd, they staggered their way out, beaten half to a pulp, laughing their heads off. Ah, oh, Dad, that was a great way to finish a week. You know? <laughs> and and I, I said, you're trying to tell me I was, I was named after this guy. <laughs> it explains so much of my childhood. Anyway, if you're visiting to this church and want to leave about now, then um, we can understand that. But um, maybe stay, stay, stay a little while. It'll get better. Um, I want to say what an absolute joy and privilege it's been to be around you uh, over these last three days. 
and I am so grateful, Mike and Joy, for, for inviting me to come. And I, I'm not saying it because it needs said, because obviously I could leave it unsaid, but my life is a lot richer for having been here. And I'm, I'm, I'm going home to rave my head off uh, to, to Margaret and the team that there's a, there's a place in the middle of the North Island of New Zealand that pulsates. I mean, yeah. If there's, I mean, any, any, any halfway intelligent, hairy-legged little demon would scream in terror if they uh, coming near this place, you know. Um, so I, I am very, very grateful, and uh, I want to get almost directly into ministering the word tonight uh, because we've got a, a little ways to go and I, I, I really feel God wants to impart something into your spirit but with, with understanding. Uh, um, but there is one person here that has uh, triggered me to speak to them um, and I'm looking for them. Um, but there was back there a young lady, dark hair, playing a guitar. Okay, no, sorry, uh, don't embarrass her, don't embarrass her. I just want to tell you something, that, that um, I have no idea who you are or what your personality is, nothing like that, but in actual fact, you're um, going to go through a series of real changes on the inside, that's all I can put it, and I, I don't know whether you're a quiet person, a loud person, what you are, but, but God said he's going to put faith and boldness and courage into your spirit, and he's also going to give you a real burden for young ladies in the times that lie ahead. And I can see you a little bit further down the street. I can see you um, actually ministering into uh, young ladies in, of a high school age. A and I can see them being deeply touched in the area of woundedness and in the areas of rejection and the areas of um, uh, some sort of uh, life habits and uh, things of that nature, unhealthy habits and things of that nature. Uh, and don't put a timing on this, but don't be surprised when God begins to develop those things. In fact, if you get a chance to read stuff on that sort of thing and allow a bit of uh, development in those areas, uh, grab hold of it from time to time. Don't try to make it happen, but I believe God's going to give a real spirit of boldness in you to reach out to those kind of people in the years that lie ahead. Okay, praise the Lord. Um, anyways, you weren't supposed to hear that. Nobody heard that, did you? No, okay, good, good, good. Um, well, where would you turn to if you wanted to take a look at the subject of faith? Where else but Hebrews chapter 11. So let's go there, but let's go there with a heart to uh, not just hear the word, but get impregnated by it. Amen? Receive it in your spirit that it might become part of who you are and live it out uh, Monday to Friday. Um, I want to just say thank you so much for your kindness and generosity to us over this weekend. Uh, and may God richly return it to you in every possible way. And um, uh, don't think I'm getting sentimental on you now when I say this, but um, sometimes when, when God wants me to express just how he feels about a person or a group of people, um, 
I'll write it down in the way of poetry. Now, it's just because I've always written poetry all my life. And so, Mike and Joy, I'd really like you to hear this, um, but it's for the whole congregation, of course. Um, and it goes, and I, I wrote this down. Um, when God looks for someone special to bless the world with his love, he searches out hearts with a piercing eye like an eagle soaring above. He looks for selfless, compassionate hearts very much like his own. Voices that ring with a fire within, yet mellowed in their tone. Hearts that care not for material things, nor seek the acclaim of man. Hearts possessed with a vision given, fully resolved to take the land. He looks for fearless warriors, flinching not in the battle's heat, who have heard the trumpet call way too clear to ever sound retreat. He looks for true ambassadors who reflect his image and his call, those who are single-minded of purpose and willing to give their all. He looks for strong and noble ones whose purity can stand his gaze, those whose passion and intimacy will set this world ablaze. He has looked for such a special people, so loyal, faithful, and true. But his eyes have stopped their searching now, for they rest, my friends, on you. And I believe that. I, I came into this church and I, I just, something happened inside of me. Now, I don't know whether I ever get the chance to come back, but I, 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 don't, I want you to know that, and I'm not being a big shot, but I do travel the world and I do go to some of the largest and most significant churches on the globe, and many of them, multiple thousands. But I want to tell you something. I walk into this place, and I'm even feeling it quite emotionally at the moment. I'm holding it in. But I'm telling you, there's something wonderful in this place. There's something of God in this place. There's something of reality and passion and life in this place. And don't take it for granted. Don't think it just happens to be everywhere. It doesn't happen to be everywhere. There's something pregnant with potential in this place. And it's called you. It's you. It's people. You are the church. And I want to say to you, because I'll probably forget later, and all these incredible young people, I wish I could put them in a can and, and take them with me. And every time, every time I got disillusioned about the future of church, I could just spin you up and say, mm, you know, um, I mean, I, mean I, I could have a video of this wild thing with the, with the hair down here and, and, and his... You know, just his bouncing, you know. And I tell you what, don't ever take it for granted. It's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. Let's pray. Father, we want to, want to thank you, Lord, for the honor, the glory, the privilege. Oh, God, we, we, Father, we sometimes just are completely overawed by your grace in our lives. And, Father, that you would take us out of all sorts of misery and backgrounds and hopelessness and, and darkness and shadows. And where your wonderful grace and love, you'd bring us to a place where we could celebrate and, and rejoice and dance and sing before our God with jubilation of heart. Father, we are so grateful to you for all of your goodness towards us. And, Father, as we come now to take a hold of your word, Father, we pray of everything that 
is within us. That tonight, Father, your word would come forth with power, with a creativeness. Father, I pray that your word tonight will create the spirit of faith. Father, that hearts that reach out to receive it, Lord, will walk out of the building tonight uh, believing in their heart for the miraculous of God, not trying to, not trying to pump it up, not trying to persuade themselves, but Lord, just a deep knowing inside that every person in this building can experience the miraculous of God as they determine to do so. Father, I pray, let it be clear let it be no confusion to it, Father, and let there be a great sense of the impregnation of your Holy Spirit. And we be very careful to give you alone the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great chapter on faith. But I want to start off by drawing your attention to uh, verse 6. And because... And then we're going to really track a little while together. Everybody settled? Everybody okay? Nobody's restless? Okay, you all focused? I never ask a rhetorical question. Every question deserves an answer. Everybody focused? Yes. Okay. Now, Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now, friends, I want you to understand what I just read. It is impossible to please him. What does that mean? It means it is not possible. It means that it doesn't matter how good, how noble, how wonderful, how, how awesome the things we do may happen to appear to be if they are not connected with this thing called faith, they cannot please God. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when I read that, I saw, Lord, what is this faith thing? Uh, surely if it's impossible for me to please God without it, then I better understand what it is. Can we agree on that? And so I looked it up and I went into a very extensive study on it years ago. And I came up with amazing answer because I'd always thought of faith, you know, faith kind of a thing. Oh, God, give me more faith. God, give me more faith. Oh, Lord, I just got to get some faith here into this thing. And that's the way I always kind of thought about it. But in actual fact, it's... Nothing like that, because the word that's used in every single occurrence in Hebrews chapter 11 is the same Greek word, and this is literally what it means, literally translated. A conviction based upon hearing. A conviction based upon hearing. And most of the commentaries and dictionaries also say that it has a secondary underlying meaning as well attached to it. And it says to be fully persuaded of God's character, God's integrity, the character of God. And so here we find that it says really that this, so this word faith means that because we have a, a conviction concerning the integrity of God, the character of God, who God is, and that He is faithful and dependable, because we have a conviction about that, then when He speaks to us, we form a conviction about that which He says to us, and we're able to obey that which He says to us. 
Okay, and so I wanted to lay that as a foundation so that when we're reading these stories about faith in Hebrews 11, you understand what this word means. A conviction based upon hearing. Okay, now, I want us to go down to verse 4. Hebrews 11.4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though and through it he being dead still speaks to us. Okay, if you went back, and we won't for time's sake, but if you went back to Genesis chapter 4 to where this story actually took place, you'll find that Abel's uh, brother Cain also offered a sacrifice to God. But what happened was that Cain's offering was rejected by God and Abel's offering was accepted by God. And no end of misery came out of that. And in fact, such was the case that that Cain eventually rose up and actually killed his brother Abel. And I remember thinking to myself one day, I said, my God, what made it so special about Abel's offering that so pleased God when Cain's obviously didn't. What was the difference? Well, friends, what makes it understand, we will understand it, is by reading that verse again. How did Abel offer his sacrifice? By faith. By what? Literally translated, by a conviction born out of hearing. By a conviction born out of hearing. What does that tell you? It tells me that Abel offered his sacrifice because God had told him to. Because God had asked him to. Because he was obeying a word from God. Now, we don't know why Cain was offering his sacrifice, but it wasn't an act of obedience. It wasn't because God told him to. Maybe it was a religious endeavor to please God. Maybe it was a religious endeavor to impress God. I don't know. But later on we find, if you went, in fact, if you went back to Genesis 4, you'll find that God saw that sin was at his door. So something was wrong in the motivation. Now, he was doing a noble thing, but the attitude in which he was doing it, the motivation with which he was doing it, was not acceptable to God. Uh, Whereas Abel was offering this lamb, why? Because God had spoken to him. And because he had heard a word from God and acted in obedience, therefore God accepted it as acceptable faith. And so I want to take you, I want you to see quite clearly tonight, and we're going to springboard from Abel quite a bit here, So Abel, therefore, had a word from God and acted in obedience to it. That's what made it an acceptable faith. But as we take a look at this illustration of Abel, we are able to learn something else about this. Because what was it that Abel actually put on the altar? Think about it. Bunch of vegetables? No, that was Cain's idea. But what was Abel actually offering up? Abel was offering up a a lamb of the flock. Now, to the average Kiwi or Australian today, that doesn't mean a great deal. Because what do you think of when you think of sheep? You think of traveling down the road and seeing a paddock full of sheep, you know, thousands of them, hundreds of them, that sort of thing. But that's not the context of this story. This is the second generation on the earth. He was the first shepherd. The first bunch of sheep alive on planet earth belonged to him. Now, I don't know. Wasn't there. 
but he probably only had half a dozen. He probably, he had, he had very few. Why? Because he was starting the whole process off. That's why. And so he, so don't think of hundreds of sheep. Think of a very little small number of sheep. Now here's the point. When, when one of those ewes gives forth birth and brings forth a lamb, who do you think helped deliver the lamb? The local vet, there wasn't any vet. Abel was shepherd and vet. And so he brings this lamb into the world. You get a hold of what I'm really saying here. He is birthing this lamb. He is bringing it into the world. That lamb represents to him something very precious, something very meaningful, and it's not a bunch of vegetables. This thing means something to this man. And so not only was it an act of hearing from God and obeying the word that received from God, but it was a sacrifice of something precious to him. It was the giving up of something that was precious to him. What else can we learn from it? Well, we can also learn from it the fact that in those days there was no money. There were no bank bonds, there were no properties, there was, there was no investments, there was, there was no gold bullion, there was nothing. A man's security lay in the, in the flocks that he had, in, in sheep or goats or whatever it was. And so here with this shepherd, this small number of sheep represented his whole future security. And now he's going to take a lamb, but what, you good Kiwis, you all know, that lamb is going to grow up. And that lamb is going to become a ewe. And that you is going to have more lambs. Okay? And so what did that lamb really represent to him? He's starting the whole thing off, remember. He's probably only got a very few number of them. And so when he takes that lamb and he's offering up that lamb, he's actually offering up some of his future wealth, some of his future security of where he intends to develop this whole flock idea from. And so he's sacrificing more than a lamb. Part of his future security. And why was he doing that? You see, that's where this meaning of the word faith comes in, because he was able to trust God for his future. So, so it's a hearing from God, an act of obedience, a giving up of something precious to him, and a trusting of God for the future that allowed him to sacrifice something of security now because he could trust God for his security tomorrow. And I want to suggest to you, unless you get a hold of those four principles, then you probably will never, ever step out when God gives you your divine moment when faith and the miraculous comes knocking on your door. Because it will involve hearing a word from God. It will involve an act of obedience. And it might very well involve giving up something precious to you because God will test your obedience that way. And it also will involve trusting God for the future. Now in Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, are you okay by the way? Everybody's alive? Hebrews 11 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, look at it, not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. He left his homeland, he left his security, he left his comfort, he left all that was precious to him, and he ventured out into the unknown. Why? Because he'd heard 
a word from God. He had a conviction born out of hearing. There was no signpost. There were no written guarantees. There were not anywhere. He didn't know where steps two, three, four, five was ever going to take him. There just simply had to be a conviction that if God said do it, then he could trust God for the outcome. And friends, that takes faith. Faith in God's integrity. Faith in God's faithfulness. Faith that God, if God quickens you and asks you to take a certain course of action and to step out in a certain manner, that God will be a God of integrity and He won't let you down when you do it. You have to trust in God's character in order to trust in God's Word when He gives it to you. Can you say Amen? See, when Margaret... When God spoke to Margaret and I 14 years, just over 14 years ago, to leave New Zealand, it didn't make the slightest bit of sense. It really didn't. I, I mean, nothing about it was, made any sense. We had a well-established credibility here in New Zealand. Uh, uh, we had financial stability here. Uh, part of, uh, we had our relatives here. Our friends were here. My kids had been born in one local church and raised in the same local church. Uh, and uh, there was no reason whatsoever to go to Australia. In fact, I can remember uh, when various other ministries had left New Zealand... Then they said to me, you know, you can remember that one after the other, you know. And they had a little, they had a little um, funny thing that they used to say in those days, the last one out, turn out the lights, you know. Um, and, and I was constantly getting asked, uh, when, are you, when are you going? And I would say, never, never. Read my lips, never, never, never. So guess what happened? Um, but at least I knew one thing. Of all the contacts that we had in the United States and sheer lack of contact, uh, uh, connections in Australia, I knew that if we did have to leave, not that we were ever going to leave, we would never go to Australia. Never. In fact, I had said it publicly on at least three occasions. I will never go to Australia. Never. Never. <laughs> but at least I knew one thing. If by some amazing thing I did, then there's only one city in Australia that I would never live in. Because it rained the only two times I ever went to it, and I don't like rain. And so Melbourne was the only one city that I would never, 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 never live in. So guess where I'm living. But you know... Us Irish eventually get the message. It takes a while, but after a while we pick up on it. And one morning I woke up and I thought to myself, I know how this works. I suddenly triggered. I know exactly how he thinks. So I, I got up that morning and I said, Lord, are you listening? Got your attention, have I? Good, good. You're really listening, are you? Good, good. That's good. I will never, never, never go to Hawaii. Never. <laughs> it works. I've been eight times since then. It works.
But I'm telling you, there was absolutely no reason to leave a nation founded by a missionary society to go and live in a nation that was founded by convicts. It didn't make a lot of sense. And so God just said, do it. Now I'd like you to think that it was easy. It wasn't easy. When I mentioned it to my wife, Margaret, she just looked at me and she said, exact words, read my lips over my dead body. I said, are you trying to communicate, love? And she said, it's not a discussionable point. So don't even think it. And so I went aside in my room and I said, fine, Lord. Now she's in your hands. So uh, I've learned not to argue. It gets nowhere. Margaret is the most incredible champion of faith and has done the most hair-raising things with me. I don't think there's another woman on the planet that would have stuck with me for the 35 years and the crazy stuff we've done. But she needs to know that she's heard from God. And God often uses that to keep me in the timing frame. And one day God spoke to her and that was it and so we were off. But really, friends, I'm telling you, there wasn't one logical, sane reason to do it. We did it from a word from God, an act of obedience, giving up that which was precious to us and trusting God for our future. The four components were there. And today God is incredibly blessed and wonderfully blessed. And people look at it now and say, I mean, Kevin Connor spoke to me the other day and he says, don't tell me God hasn't got favorites. Look at this place. You know, and he was walking around our property. He said, blooming God. And he was going like this. And all were having a lot of good fun. But the place God's given us a mentoring center and a home and offices and stuff. And it's gorgeous. And I tell you what, but I tell you what, people look at that now. And they don't realize it started with just a simple act of obedience that didn't make any sense, had no logic attached to it. You just did it. Are we alive and well? Are we really? You see, it starts with hearing a word from God, an act of obedience, giving up that which is precious, and trusting God for a future. And I could give you loads and loads. I could keep you here for another hour just giving you illustrations, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try and actually reverse everything I've done for the weekend and try and finish on time. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an amazing miracle? Okay, we're talking about miracles. Um, but I want to tell you something else. That's the beginnings of faith. And that's where faith starts. And if you'll embrace that kind of faith in simple obedience... God will then take you into a different level of faith. That's where I've been heading. And I want you to understand that Abel's act of faith, because it was obedience, it was acceptable to God and pleased the heart of God. Abraham, when he went out not knowing where he was going, that was acceptable to God and pleased God. It was great faith. 
Now get me hold of this. And most of the time that God speaks to you, it will be in the category that I have just spoken of, a hearing from God, an acting of obedience, hear and obey, and that's what faith will demand of you. But there will be times when God will take you into a different level of demand when he speaks. And I want to talk about that for a little while now. Because Abel, hear me now, Abel did an act of sacrifice, but he did have the lamb to sacrifice. Was it an act of obedience? Yes. Was it an act of sacrifice? Oh, yes. But did he have the lamb in the first place? Yes, he did. So he was giving out of that which he possessed. Abraham, when he went out, was it an act of obedience? Yes. Was it an act of sacrifice? Yes. But did he go out with the substance that he already possessed? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But I want to now talk about a different kind of faith to Abel's and Abraham's, okay? I want to talk about another level of faith, and I believe it's a level of faith that we must see in this nation if we're ever going to see full revival and harvest take place. And this is a level of faith that releases God's miraculous. And how many want to see the miraculous really unleashed in this nation? Uh, not by not by one or two superheroes, but by every single born-again Christian in the pews living out a supernatural life. Well, I want to talk about that. Because this is when God challenges, I pray you'll hear this. I'm sowing into the church corporate and the leadership as well as to every single one of you. This is when God challenges us to believe for that which we cannot see to give out of that which we do not yet have, to confess that for which there is no tangible substance, and to believe for that for which no logic exists. This is living in the realm where we do not have the chess pieces to manipulate and the circumstances that can be rearranged. This is when there's absolutely no intelligence whatsoever to what we're putting our hand to do other than a clearly confirmed word from God. This is living in a realm which defies our reason, insults our intelligence, and removes our platforms of man-made security. Because this is obedient faith that has gone to another level. This is creative faith. And I want to speak to you about creative faith just for a few minutes. Because I want to tell you something right now that Hebrews 11.1, 1, just think about. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Everybody say, not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Not tangible, not seeable. In fact, they don't even exist. If we go to verse 3, if you get your Bibles open in Hebrews 11. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that the things which are now seen were not made of things which were then visible. Now, friends, listen to me. We're all sane, reasonable people here tonight. Well, some of us are. Now, we all know that you've got to have something to create something from. You've got to have flour to bake a cake. 
you know, you've got to have something to make something from. Are we agreed on this? I mean, you've got to start, start with something. If I'm going to make a cup of tea, I've got to have water in the tea bag. We've got to have something to create something out of. Right? Wrong. Wrong. That's the entire problem. That's what our humanity has told us all of our lives and that is the mindset God Almighty wants to shatter and to break and destroy in the church because we're serving a God that doesn't need anything to do something with. He is a creator. He created the worlds and the universe and the planets and the cosmos out of exactly nothing. Now, I want to shake you about this. I want to speak to you about this because there are going to be times in your life when God asks you to do something when it will be an act of obedience, it will be an act of a sacrifice, but you know that you can do it. But I'm telling you right now, God is aching to be God again in His church and because He wants to be God and wants to be seen to be God, there are kind of times when He's going to come to you and come to the leadership of this house and He's going to ask you to do things which you cannot do. And it's going to be unreasonable, unlogical. It's not going to be intelligent. It's just going to be God saying, do it. And if we do not break the limitations of our logic and our reason, we will never ever see us bursting forth into miraculous life. Now when you sit down in front of a a, a professor of cardiology for an hour... And he shows you the condition of your arteries. And he not only tells you about it, but he shows you it. And he shows you the outcome. Mark and I sitting down in his office and with a sheet of paper with a diagram of all my arteries, all my major ones, all my subsidiaries were there. And they're all multiply blocked. There's nothing to bypass from or to. And he tells me to take what's left of my miserably short little life and go die in an armchair somewhere. And medically, scientifically, logically, reasonably, there was absolutely no way I could live very long, certainly not if I ever got excited. (laughs) But you know the cool thing? I'll tell you the cool thing. How many loved the Holy Ghost? You see, as we... It says, Margaret and I uh, drove up into that car park. To go and see that specialist and get the, get the feedback, get the results. We're just about to get out of the car and the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as anything. And he said, stop. And I stopped and I said, honey, wait, wait. And the Holy Spirit just said, you bind the power of the words you're about to hear. And we sat in the car and we held hands and I said, Father, I bind and I reject the power of the words I'm about to hear. Not knowing what I was about to hear. We went in, and when he proclaimed all his death and destruction all over me, I tell you what, it didn't have the impact. Why? Because we bound the power of it. That's why. And when I went home, I said, Now, my God, you've got to tell me how you see this. Now, you've got to understand, friends, listen to me. It's nice here sitting down in the middle of church on Sunday night, but you, I just had an hour while this man told me in graphic medical terms what would happen to me if I ever exerted myself or got excited or did numerous other things that he made a list of that day, which was an incredible list. Other than breathing, there wasn't much I could do. 
And I said, my God, I've got everything they've told me. Now, what do you say about this? I said, just give me a word. And he said, Samson. Now, God forgive me. My reaction was anything but good. I said, Samson. Samson. I said, God, I don't even like the man. I never preach on him. What do you mean, Samson? And God just said, Samson. Turn to Samson. So, so I, I picked up my Bible thinking, Samson, Samson, you old judges. So I flipped over my Bible like that to start looking for judges. And the Bible just fell open to the exact scripture God wanted me to read. The rest of the page just blurred away in the background. And one verse just stood out like this. And it said, uh, and he said, and a lion came roaring out to devour him. And I said to him, Lord, you got it about right. That's exactly how I feel. And he said, now read the next verse. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he tore it to pieces. And I said, Lord, forgive me because I'm Irish, but please can you make it plain? And God said to me, you fight or you die, you make up your mind. But if you'll live daily in my grace and take authority over it daily, this thing will never kill you. And that word entered into my spirit. And all I can tell you is all anxiety, all fear, all concern, all logic, all reason evaporated on the spot. And not only that, but I went out and shared it with my wife, Margaret, who's medical and knew all the facts about it. And I shared it with her and anxiety evaporated on the spot. It was a living Rima word from God. It was a creative word. And from the very next morning, I set my course, never changed stride and I've had the best seven and a half years of my entire life and I want to tell you something but I didn't do it because it was a good idea and I don't want someone else sitting there right now said oh he just described I got that's exactly what I'm going to do and then go out there and and I got your blood on my head for eternity I don't want that don't ever imitate somebody else this was what God said to me okay but it had to be a creative faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was not something that was there. If God didn't do it, it couldn't happen. And I believe God wants to say something to you tonight. I just feel so charged about this. God is going to ask you to do stuff that cannot be done. You can't do it. And that's, that's, that's God orchestrating it. He's deliberately putting you in that position. He doesn't want you to be able to do it. And it. I said this the other night, but it's worth repeating. I, I get mystified. I get, I get amazed at how God's Pentecostal hootenanny, chandelier swinging people always crying out, God, give me a miraculous testimony. God, give me a miracle. And then they spend their entire life organizing every sort of security around them they possibly can so that no miracle will ever be necessary. And then wonder why it doesn't turn up. You can't walk on the water until you get out of the boat. Now I'm going to work towards the eventual possibility of a possible close, but I want to give you a cup. Before I quit, I want to give you some two wonderful illustrations in the Word of God of what I've just been talking about. And I believe they're prophetic. I believe something in these two stories needs to be said here tonight. Verse 7. Come on, everybody go with me. Verse 7. 
And stay alive with me, okay? By faith, Noah, you've got to, young people, you're going to love the next 10 minutes. Being fa- by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, for which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Okay, here we go. We gloss over some. Don't, don't, don't we gloss over some of these stories? And everyone talks about Noah and the ark, and we, and we think about the lovely little Sunday school t- uh, things, and we have all these paintings on the walls, you know, all these little sheepies going up a plank into the ark, and, and, and we, we, we don't even stop to think of what actually took place. Have you any idea what God put that man through? He wakes up one morning and God's knocking on his tent flap. (laughs) Noah. Yes, Lord. Noah, come on out here. Yes, Lord. Noah is going to rain. 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 Well, we got to, that's problem number one. Rain, rain, rain. What is rain? The world had never seen rain. The Bible is quite clear that until that time, the, the water, the, the mist would come up off the earth at night time, water the earth and disappear by dawn. Nobody had ever, ever, ever seen rain. It didn't exist. So poor old Noah runs back inside the tent and he gets out the Oxford Dictionary and he goes down, R-A-R-A-E-R-A-A-A. Rain, rain, no rain, no rain, no rain. God, what's rain? I don't know what rain is. Well, God doesn't even tell him what rain is. He just carries on with a thing. Now, Noah, because of rain, which you don't know what it is, and you've never heard of it, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, because of that, I want you to build an ark. An ark. Oh, God, I, I, I hesitate to ask. What's an ark? Well, Noah, you know, you know the boats. No, Lord, I don't. I've never heard of it. What's a boat? Where, well, Noah, you know the little bundle of reeds that you get together and you stand on to a tree. Well, it's not really going to be anything like that, Noah. No, no, I tell you what, Noah, it, it, it's, it's going to be the size of the Queen Mary. It's going to be 450 feet long. It's going to be 150 feet wide. It's going to be 50 feet high. It's going to have three different levels in it, stories in it. And it's going to have engineeringly designed compartments that will take anything from a cockroach to an elephant. And it's going to have every species on the face of the earth in there. And they're going to stay alive for 40 days while you look after them. And it's actually going to float. And Noah's just standing there, he says, Can I point something out? We got no computers. We got no engineers. We've never heard of machinery. Dear God, have you forgotten the age in which I live? I've got a Stone Age axe! God said, It's all right. I'm going to give you a hundred years to do it. Have you any idea how unreasonable that was? 
Think of the context in which he spoke to this man. Had never seen rain. He had no idea what a boat looked like. And, and, and now God wanted him to create something that could take us two of every species on the face of the earth. No wonder everybody thought he was an idiot. <laughs> Just like they think about you. When you say yes to some of the things that God is going to lay on your heart to do. Now you think that's good? Well, let's go to our final one. I love this one. This is beyond, this is beyond amazing. By the way, oh, sorry, Mike. Can't you just imagine what might have happened if Noah had stopped to make it a little bit more logical, a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more acceptable? Friends, let me say it to you, we have absolutely no right to tamper with a clear word from God. It's not a debate. It's not a committee. It's God Almighty saying, do it. Do you understand what I said? He just says, do it. Do it. Be careful about a committee attitude toward God. God doesn't want a discussion. He wants action when he speaks. After all, I trust you all do know what an elephant really is. It's just a racehorse designed by a committee. <laughs> now, verse 11. Verse 11. This has got to be one of the most incredible verses in the Bible and most people don't even hardly read it. By faith. Conviction born out of hearing. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age. That's the understatement of the century. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as a sandwich by the seashore. And I said, well, Lord, I don't want to mislead anybody. I don't want to misrepresent your word. So can you tell me what was actually being said here? So I actually looked it up in the Greek. So it says she was past the age. The fact that she was 90 should have given us some sort of a clue. <laughs> but I looked up past the age. And friends, this is what it literally translated means. Especially beyond. Completely opposed to. Utterly above. Totally against. Completely contra to. I wonder if we got the point. She was past it. <laughs> she was incredibly past it. Within, she was not even within the realm of any human possibility. And what about Abe? Well, the Bible says, New King James, he was as good as dead. So I didn't want to mislead you there either, so I looked that one up. And here's what it means in the Greek. Necro, it means to deaden. To be dead. To mortify. It comes from the Greek root word, necros. A corpse. Utterly dead. <laughs> so she is 
completely past it, and he's dead. In that area of his life, the man was a corpse. So, I don't know about you, but realizing that she is utterly past it, and he's dead. God's got my curiosity. I want to know what God means when he says, Sarah receives strength to conceive. Because if she's utterly bastard and he's dead, I want to know what the strength is that she got to conceive. I really, and when you get to my age, you really want to know. And I looked up the word strength. I looked it up, and that's when I got the buzz of all buzz because I looked up the word strength written there, and it's the word dunamis. And that is the same word that is used in the book of Acts when it says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And it's exactly the same word dunamis. Miraculous power, miracle-producing power. And I want you to see this. Sarah did not get a little help to conceive. She didn't go on a course of vitamins and herbal energizers, although that might have been a good idea. There was absolutely nothing humanly to be done. She was past all human potential. She needed miraculous creative power. And can I dare to say it? If she needed miraculous creative power to conceive, can you just begin to imagine the creative power Abe needed to produce the seed? <laughs> so, so when God turns up and says to him, you're going to have a son. No wonder Sarah went into the tent and howled with laughter. She thought God had just brung the biggest joke since Adam. But the Bible goes on to say that they then took a hold of the creative word of God and they received that pre creative word of God, which went beyond all logic and reason, beyond all human possibility. And guess what took place? Isaac took place. And here I get to a wonderful little part of the evening, because it is. And this is an incredible thing. What do you think happened after they had Isaac? Oh, this is the buzz of all buzz. But after they had Isaac, Abraham went on to have many sons, many, many offspring. So what does that tell you? I'll tell you what it tells me. It tells me this, that when you experience your first creative miracle by the hand of God it unlocks something inside of you and from that point on miracles begin to take place one after the other why because the anticipation and the realization of God doing the miraculous has been unlocked inside of you you just got to be pushed off the edge the first time 
You know, I find sometimes when God wants to put you off the edge and he wants to move you into miraculous faith, he adopts a certain kind of strategy. It's a very simple one, really. As Irish can understand it. It's called no option. (laughs) With a lion roaring in the middle of the road, what was Samson going to do? Discuss theology? No. He either killed the lion, the lion killed him. When I went home with my arteries, what was I going to do? Rally around a committee? No. It was either believe God or die. It wasn't very complicated. So don't find it strange when God puts you in a situation where all human solutions seem to dissolve and disappear and you can't do the very thing that God asked you to do. That's not an indication that God has left the planet or somehow uh, uh, neglected you. That's by his divine orchestration. He wants you in a position where you desperately need him to miraculously come through. You're on the brink of a miracle when that takes place. And if you will but allow that miraculous to happen, it will unlock something inside of you. I remember the first time, as I'm beginning to close, I remember the first time that God spoke to Margaret and I, oh, this is going back many years ago now, about going to Africa. And at that time, we were just making ends meet every month, as it were. You know, God was always very faithful to us, but there wasn't a lot left over every month. And I remember a time was about $1,100 in the bank, something like that, and that was our total thing. And God spoke to me and says, get the leaders of the denominations in Tanzania, East Africa, together and speak to them for a week. And I got a hold of a missionary that we knew that was over there. Do you know Alan Stevenson? Okay. And I rang him and I said, Alan, this is what God's told me to do. And he said, well, bro, you've got to understand something. That sort of thing isn't done here because of the tribalistic thing and you can't get them all together even the AOG have eight different divisions because they cannot agree and meet together and he said and I said God told me to do it there's got to be a way he said well there is one way you can pay them to come I said, okay, what are we looking at here? He says, well, for a week's conference, you have to pay for their uh, uh, travel, you have to pay for their accommodation, you have to pay for all their food, you have to pay for all their uh, uh, conference costs, uh, 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 everything that it costs for that individual to be there. And I'm thinking, oh, (laughs) uh, uh, how many are we talking? He said, it could be 50 people. Mm. And so I said, okay. Okay, and I came out and I told Margaret, and she's an incredible woman of faith. One day I hope you'll, you'll meet her, because she, she is an amazing lady of faith. And she just said, well, great. God said to us, do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. The only problem is, have any of you ever found out that God can be just a little sneaky? <laughs> he, he gets you to say yes by showing you that there. And after you've said yes... He pulls back the shutters and shows you what he really had in mind. Because <laughs> the phone went, and it's Alan. Oh, Dave, you know that 50? Yeah. Well, it's 100 now. <laughs> mm, mm. 
okay, okay, oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Um, and fair enough, then the emails come, you know, oh David, you know the hundred, yeah? It's two hundred. Oh, oh Dave, you know that two hundred, yeah? It's three hundred. It's three hundred, no, no, it's now four hundred. And we, I think we finished off somewhere between four hundred and fifty and five hundred of them and by this time my brain is numb it doesn't matter anymore after so many zeros you just go numb you just blank it doesn't matter just zeros on the end and I remember getting down before God one day in the middle of my lounge and I'm saying oh God I need some money money I need money and I and I said God how are you going to do this this is huge And the Lord just said, and he laid another itinerant on my heart. And he gave me a sum of money, which was practically everything Margaret and I had in the bank. And said, now give it to them. And I said, maybe you haven't been listening. I'm the one that wants the money. He said, give it to him. So I went out and I said, honey, you know what God just said? And I told her and she says, well, what are you waiting for? Do it, do it. And so we gave it. And now I've got nothing and loads of zeros coming up. But let me tell you, God supplied every cent of it and the last $2,000 came in the night before we flew out And not that day or any other day in 19 years of being self-supporting itinerant has God ever, ever been one second late. Not once. Not once. But you know what happened? Because God came through that time, what happened? The Isaac thing happened. Something got unlocked inside of us. And since then, we've done it I don't know how many times. And we've done it in India. We've done it in Africa. And, and, and when God challenged us about taking the property that we now have just possessed, everybody said, you're nuts, you're crazy, you're insane, don't be ridiculous. But God said, do it. And because of the track record of God showing up and God's miraculous, we were able to take it on board. Friends, I'm telling you, all you're waiting for is your first little miracle. When you know that God has just suddenly done it for you, it'll unlock something inside of you. Don't leave it up to the superheroes. Look at what God got a hold of. Tax collectors and fishermen and all sorts of you know, well, I gotta go. I gotta get a lot more godly than I am. I gotta go to Bible college. I gotta do something. No, you don't. No, you don't. You have to be willing. You have to hear from God, obey God, be willing to give up what is precious, and trust God for your future, and believe in a God of the miraculous. And friends, listen to me, and, and I feel something too. Young people, listen to me. If you've had the odd failure or two, maybe, maybe you've had the odd disappointment in certain areas of, of temptation or whatever, let me tell you something. God loves that kind of material. My favorite guy in the Bible is Peter. Because if Peter could possibly muck it up, he did. He was, he was the mucker-upper. 
And he was brilliant at it. And he gave me hope when I was a young Christian, I tell you. He goes to sleep in the prayer meeting. He, he rebukes Jesus. And then he has three and a half, I've got to close, but he has three and a half years of discipleship with Jesus. You just, just imagine, wouldn't it be awesome to get three and a half years of discipleship with Pastor Mike or, or somebody like Billy Graham or something? But he had, he had three and a half years of personal, individual discipleship with Jesus. Three and a half years. And what was Jesus telling him? Every day for three and a half years. Love. Patience. Self-control. Gentleness. If they slap you one cheek, give the other cheek. Patience. Consideration. Love. Gentleness. Self-control. For three and a half years by the master of the universe discipling him. And graduation time comes. Graduation time comes in the garden. And what's Peter's response? (laughs) Off with the guy's ear. And if Jesus hadn't stepped in, there would have been ears all over the garden. The man, the man was on a rope. Don't give me you meekness, rubbish. I want blood, I want blood. Can you just imagine Jesus? Oh, Father, you gave him to me. (laughs) And when he does deny Jesus, he can't be satisfied with that. No, he's got to swear his head off while he's doing it. (laughs) But because he was met with brokenness, because he met brokenness and repentance and cried in his remorse, God said, a broken vessel I can remold, refashion, re-empower and use. And he became the great apostle of faith in the New Testament. You see, God's a God of the second chance. I'm speaking to some of you. God's a God of the second chance. You're not bound by yesterday's failures. You're not bound by yesterday's disappointments. The lying accuser will tell you that that will limit you for the rest of your life. But it's a lie. The rest of your life starts now. It is only determined by the level of your availability and commitment now. Can we just bow our heads in a word of prayer, please? Father, I just pray for any that have struggled in any way, Lord, uh, with, with besetting ways or, or disappointments or discouragements of the past. Lord, you're taking this people into being a miraculous people, a supernatural people, a Holy Ghost people. And Father, I cancel the power of lying accusations in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray for fresh hope, fresh faith, fresh courage to rise up inside of every heart, Father. I pray, my God, Lord, that tonight, Lord, something of a seed of desire will rise as a fire within each person, oh God, that they will hunger, Lord, to be used by the Holy Ghost. Father, I pray, Lord, oh God, that you raise up an army. I see it, Father. I see it raising up an army in this uh, town called Hastings, oh God, that will, Lord, not only transform the life of a city, but a region and a nation and other nations, Father, because they dare in simplicity to believe the word of the Lord. Father, I pray. Let your word burn bright within each one, Father. 
in Jesus' mighty name. While every head's bowed, and yeah, hey, I don't know anybody here much. If you came in this building tonight and you did not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never ever known the wonderful power of sins forgiven and the loving embrace of your Heavenly Father, I want to tell you something. You, you, you need that. That's the greatest miracle of all. You need Jesus. You need Him tonight. Oh, how desperately He loves you. If there's anybody in this building that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you want to tonight, take that step right now. Raise your hand to me right now and say, that's me. I, I, I need to give my heart to Christ. I want to know since forgiven. I want the loving embrace of my Father. Put your hand up right now if that's you. Is there anybody? Anybody at all? You need to make Jesus absolute Lord of your life. Anybody at all? In my, yes, God bless you, buddy. That's fantastic. Don't leave the building before coming up here and saying hi. Okay. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? I don't know, maybe everybody else is Christians here tonight. And now I want to do one other thing before I close. And I realize I've kept you very late. But I, 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 I just want to do one last thing before I go. It has been such a joy, such a privilege, such an honor to be with you. Burn for God. Burn for God. Amen. Burn for God. I want you to stand to your feet. And I really felt I needed to do this. And I want you to join hands right across the rows. I want you to join hands right across the road. I want everybody joined up. And I want to say this to you. Please lock in. We've got two minutes to go. Listen to me. As much as every individual commitment to Christ here terrifies the devil, there's something that terrifies him even more greatly than that. And that is your corporate commitment to Christ. Because he's read the Bible. And the Bible says, wherever brethren dwell together in unity, there God has commanded the blessing to be. And there's, there's a wonderful, wonderful spirit of Christ Jesus in this place. But I want to say something tonight. I want you to make a commitment in your commitment to Christ. You make a commitment to your brother and to your sister and to your leadership. And you make a declaration tonight. I will never receive accusation against them. I will not allow criticism to be in my presence concerning them. Because these are my family. And we will be one mind, one accord, in one place. And we are going to fulfill the will of the Lord. Because we're not going to allow negativity to distract us from fulfilling the the vision of God. Can we pray that way? Father, in the lovely name of Jesus, I thank you, my God, for the privilege, the honor that it's been to, to fellowship with a people that so love you, Father. And Lord, as I, I, I declare over them the favor of God tonight as a church. And Lord, as a leadership team, I declare the favor and the wisdom and the faith of God. Father, over this leadership team, Lord, I declare, my God, open heavens and the miraculous, O oh God. And Father, visitations of the Holy Spirit of God and revelation, Father, that will set the people free. My God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the birth of vision and purpose and supernatural occurrences, O oh God, in the days and years that lie ahead. And Father, I pray for the unity of this body. I pray that you'll give them a passionate loyalty one toward the other that no demon will ever be able to penetrate. 
And Father, as they celebrate together, as they win souls together, as they see miracles together, as they win a city together, Lord, such shall be the celebration, oh God. Oh Father, let your word be creative within them. As I commit them again to you, Father, asking for that open heaven over this place, asking for your favor upon them and upon all that they love. And we give you the honor tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for the privilege of being with you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Fantastic. Amen. Come on, let's give him a great clap. We'd love to have Dave back again. Just appreciated you so much. Just valued your word. Amen.